My name is Devin. I'm part of the teaching team here at Infuse. I am not an official pastor, but I get up here and I talk. Uh, and this uh, time around, I, along with the rest of our pastors, um, got a really great team. Caitlin's part of it. Stephanie Taylor Taylor's up in Cedar Rapids today, and Al uh, is also great. Um, but I get to be up here and talk about Be Rich this month, uh, which is where we raise a bunch of money and we give it all away to causes both locally and internationally. I'm going to do a little preamble, just a little talk, uh, ground us in, we talk, in what we talked about last week, um, and then I'm going to invite some guests up here on stage and hear their interesting, really impactful stories about what their organization is doing and how that's changing lives and how we're going to be able to be involved as a church. Um, so yeah, let's jump into it. Uh, that uh, was just hilarious, right, um, the, the little setup, but uh, it leads to the question a little bit of like, uh, do you want, what kind of neighbor do you want to be? The, our, whole, the, um, our whole Be Rich is about being good neighbors here, both in the community and globally, and he had that joke about like, I was being sponsored by a family in Haiti, right? And that's like the thing that people do, like you've seen all kinds of organizations do that, and you feel like you kind of sort of, you understand that that's a good thing, right? You're being a good neighbor to somebody out there in the world who has, doesn't have things that we have here in a first world country, and you're like, yes, that $45 or whatever will transform somebody's life, we hope, right? And you send it to somebody who's a good partner, and you trust that it's going to do good work out there in the world. Um, but we know that that's a good thing somewhere inside of us because we know what makes a good neighbor, right? It's a good neighbor is somebody who lives down the street from you and you are struggling to start the lawnmower and they come over and like, I know how to start a lawnmower. You need to do this and this and this. And you're like, okay, it's all better now, right? It's somebody who sees some sort of brokenness and that's like a silly example, but sees some sort of brokenness, some sort of need and steps in to help. Um, and Jesus taught this time and time again. That was like the central thing of his teaching. And, uh, as he was teaching, one time he was talking about when he's going to return, and you've probably heard this set of verses at some point along the way, and I just want you to think about it from the lens of what we're doing here today and think about it from the, from the sense of be rich and just your daily life, too, as, as to how we can be good neighbors. Um, so he's, setting up, he's, set, he's painted the scene of he's returning if you want to uh, learn more about heaven and what that what the Bible says and doesn't say about that, Pastor Taylor did a really good series on that back in October. It's available on the uh, on our podcast on the on the app and on our website as well. So do check that out if you're interested in that. But all of that aside, he's setting up. I'm going to come back someday. I'm going to set things right, and then this is what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, because he's divided people into groups. He says, "Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance." the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, place of all kinds of good things, as you might imagine. And for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the natural follow-up question that all people would have would be, then the righteous said, We'll answer him, Lord, when did I see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? Because you just, like, you're like, I didn't see you, Jesus. I didn't see you out on the street. You're telling me that I saw you and, and did all these things for you? I know I didn't, because I didn't see you in my, in my lifetime. And he will say, then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so I just wanna, want us to, to sit on that for a little bit, um, because if you think about some of the greatest moments of your life, some of the things that, the stories that you tell over and over, the stories that people tell you, 
about how you interacted with them. And it's usually little moments, right? Like you go and you sit with somebody as they're going through just a really hard time. And it's not like you even do anything for them necessarily, but you're just there for them. Or you drop off like somebody's favorite popcorn on a day that they just really need popcorn. I'm trying to imagine a scenario that requires that, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like you know people and you know what they need and you're there for them in whatever way that is. And those are the things that they'll remember and they'll tell you because it was such an important time that you were there for them, that you thought of them, that you cared for them. And so we're going to hear about situations where we can step into that as a church, as a community of believers, both through Be Rich and then even going beyond that. Because what we want to do with Be Rich is build relationships that last over time to connect with organizations and folks and just get us all connected. We all have limited resources and time, but we just want you to be inspired to get involved where you can, where, you're, where it makes sense for your heart, in the same way that we have the invitation to serve that um, Caitlin and, and James extended. These are opportunities, and we know that life is better when we step up to these things. Um, a, because Jesus said so, but there's, there's a whole list of reasons um, to do that because it changes our lives and it changes other people's lives. So I'm going to wrap up with just a reminder of last week we talked uh, through Paul's message. Um, Paul was one of Jesus' followers, and he had this to say, which was essentially a remix of this teaching of Jesus. And he said, command them to do good. He's speaking to a community of believers. And this was like a chain letter that ran around to a whole bunch of churches. And this was like, how do you execute on Jesus's commands? How do you actually do this out in the real world? And he says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And that is how you take hold of the life that is truly life, the, the, the technical or version of living or the kind of life where you're like, I'm not actually doing the things that will give, will change me and change other people. This is, this is the version of life that actually brings you life. So last week, if you weren't here last week, we're going to do a quick rundown of what we're looking to raise money for that we're going to give it all away. And what, how we have that broken down is uh, $40,000 between this church location, all you folks online who are here with us this week and in the next couple of weeks, and then also our congregation up in Cedar Rapids, which is where we're going to go if you want to join us on Thanksgiving weekend for a potluck. But what we're looking to do with this $40,000 is international missions, there's a water pump uh, for an orphanage in Haiti that we've partnered with over the last couple of years, and that will make sure that they have clean water with a solar, uh, solar energy array. I'm not totally sure on the whole engineering, but there will be fresh water because of that. Um, education for two kids for a year, um, and this is Christian education, um, support, love, uh, and a place out in the world through uh, our denominational mission called the Church of the Nazarene, as well as missionary support and creating new churches. Foundation 2 up in Cedar Rapids, if you don't know that one, it is uh, youth. It's, it's got a whole bunch of different social services. They run the crisis center up there, the phone bank up there for crisis, but they also have a youth shelter, which is literally two blocks away from the church location up in Cedar Rapids. So if you're up there for Thanksgiving or if you're driving by, you can look out and see it. And that's a place for youth from like 12 to 17 who don't have a place to go, who are getting out of unsafe situations and need a place to be for, I think it's up to 12 months is, is what they do. Um, but they have 
just like this whole population of teenagers coming through day in, day out, sometimes for a day, sometimes for multiple months, and they want to make that as welcoming and as caring and as safe a space as possible for them. And we ask them, so what do you need in this moment? Because that's what, what we've done with, with all of our partners. What do you need to transform the lives of these kids? And they said, you know what? We've had this furniture that is rated for like high wear comfort, but also high wear for the last five years. And they showed it to us and it was like there's springs sticking out of this thing. And they're like, the kids have to bring blankets over to make sure it's good. Uh, so we're going to step into that and give them support to be able to buy new furniture for the youth shelter. Birdhouse, we're going to hear more about today, what that is. These are the folks who are here with us, so I'm going to skip over that for the moment. But that we're, gonna, we're also raising $9,000 for. And then Families Helping Families here in Iowa, it's an organization that helps foster families who are taking kids in um, from outside of their home, from outside of their families who have gone through extremely tough situations, right? You don't get to foster care by having an easy life. You get to foster care, you get to somebody's family, and somebody's taking you in, feeding you, clothing you, but they don't always have money for extracurriculars. And so this organization steps in with scholarships for them to go do hockey, do the piano lessons, get all the gear, pay for six months of whatever, guitar lessons, whatever it is, to give those families the chance to give those kids as normal and as healthy and vibrant a life as possible. And so $500, they do scholarships. So this will be 12 scholarships for kids that we're gonna do. So that's what we're raising money for over the course of this month. Um, we're asking, I'll have an ask for you at the end, opportunity invitation, um, and then we're gonna celebrate at the end of the month up in Cedar Rapids on the 26th. You can always check it online if you're out of town, eating turkey somewhere else and watching and have watched Iowa football in Nebraska, or is it the here this year? I don't know. One of those two. Anyway, I am done. That is all I have to say outside of the end and a few questions, but I want to invite Kayla Fisher and Monica Hayes from the Birdhouse up here. Please help me welcome them. They came all this way out here to hang out with us for a morning. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I have to deal with the arcane technology of microphones. Got it. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you for the invite. So happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so you guys have been involved with the Birdhouse, and for those of us, I did like a brief, like my version of it, but I am not as involved, obviously, as you guys are. So would love to understand more about the Birdhouse, ask you guys some questions about how you got involved, tell us about what the money will get used for um, at the end of the day, and, and what the Birdhouse, like the impact of the Birdhouse on people's lives. So that was all a preview. We're going to do one question at a time. Okay. Very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, can you tell us a little bit about just like broad overview of what the Birdhouse is? Sure. Um, so I am the president of the board of the Birdhouse. I volunteer in that position. And um, first actually came into relationship with the Birdhouse back in 2012 almost when they were, it was still an idea. And the idea came about because Lois Bird had cared for her husband, Gary Bird, um, and really just kind of struggled at the end of his life. Wanted to have a home-like atmosphere and have him be comfortable because she was fatigued from caregiving mm -hmm. and really just wanted to be his wife <laughs> instead of the caregiver. And there was no option for that locally here in Johnson County and he ended up not dying in a real comfortable place and so it became her mission to be able to 
find a home, she gathered her circle of love, and these mostly women went on this mission to put together the birdhouse. And in 2016, after a lot of love and research and working hard, um, they were able to open the birdhouse, which is a five-bedroom hospice home. Um, it is a five-bedroom home in a residential neighborhood, so it's, it was somebody's house that they did some conversion to, but for the most part, it is just like a home, and people are able to come there, be cared for, and pass away in a comfortable setting. Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit more about your role and how you first got involved with yep. the birdhouse? So, sorry. Um, I had worked in hospice care for about 15 years. Um, now I sell real estate. So my first career was in hospice care and worked as a social worker and bereavement coordinator and community education. And so um, as I was in my second career, I love giving back and being a part of the community. And the birdhouse was something that I always had really great interest in and kind of supported at a distance a little bit because I was kind of busy, and when I commit to something, I want to be able to commit fully to it. And so um, they had asked me several times to be able to be a part of it and be on the board. And then in 2020, I said, okay, I'm ready. And I joined the board, got involved in Holiday Lights as well, which Kayla's going to talk about. And then in 2020, <coughs> two, geez, I... Um, stepped up and took on the role of president of the birdhouse board and we've been through a lot of transition and it's been um challenging i would say but um something that i really love being a part of that's great would somebody be willing to grab her water <laughs> thank, thank you, you. <laughs> becky <laughs> delivering every time Kayla, do you want to tell us about how you got involved with the birdhouse? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. So Melissa has a somewhat professional background with hospice care, and mine was a little different. Um, in 2019, my mom was a recipient of hospice care, not at the house, but she was lucky enough to be able to be at our home. Um, and so I had heard of the birdhouse. Um, as Monica said, it is it, it was just a normal home, in fact. A unique connection for me is that that home was my best childhood friend in elementary school's house. So I had birthday parties and memories and sleepovers in that house, and now it's continuing on in a different way uh, for people to, to, to be and, and get dignified end-of-life care. Um, and in 2019 was kind of the time where the idea to create a legacy fundraiser for the Birdhouse Hospice Home of Johnson County was kind of born from past board members and passionate volunteers. And when I heard of that, I was like, it just clicked. It was, we, I can support hospice care in our community. And I also love the holidays and creating magical memories for our community was something that sounded inspiring. And so I, we said yes. And in 2020, we opened our first year. Um, and Holiday Lights at the Lake, for those who may not know, is a mile-long route of light displays that are professionally curated for us. And it's an event that's open every night, Thanksgiving through New Year's Eve, and we're organized and operated completely by volunteers. Um, and all proceeds of our event go to support the birdhouse. That's awesome, yeah. We were talking about logistics of, of volunteers because uh, beforehand, can you tell us how many, how many nights and how many volunteers per night? Yes, so at the event itself, so organizing, planning, build and tear down aside, 
We are open this year, it'll be 39 nights in a row. Um, and every night is a driving night with the exception of Wednesdays, which we open up for our walkthrough Wednesday experience. Mm -hmm. And as far as volunteers go, it takes a minimum of 12 volunteers each night on slow nights. And then on busier nights, it gets up to about 17 per night. So you can average it out about 15 times 38, and that's the number of volunteer shifts that we have out there. And those are um, usually starting around 4.30 in the afternoon when it's time to flip the lights on. And then we close around 9.30 at night um, after everyone has come through and got to experience the magic. Yeah. I'd, for the folks who are here in the room, we're going to appear. Who has been to Holiday Lights on the Lake? Who's driven through the lights experience? There you go. Some people have done it. It yeah. is a good time. And in addition, I do see some past volunteers and supporters of Holiday Lights. Um, I know there's every single volunteership that gets filled helps us out there, and so mm -hmm. it's great to see some, some, some familiar faces. Yeah, that's awesome. And then this seems like the right time. Dave Lemire, if you haven't met Dave yet, he's at the light board back there. Um, he said he is willing, he's going to organize a volunteer shift for us here from Infuse. So if you want to be part of a shift, Go talk to Dave. He'll arrange a night, one of the 39 consecutive yes. nights. And I'll see you there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So thank you, Dave. Um, talking a little bit more about what the birdhouse does and the impact of that, for those, I'm going to make sure that we had agreed beforehand which questions I was going to ask them, so, that, so I'm trying to make sure that I, I stick to that. Um, we talked a little bit about, about what inspired you to get involved. Um, Monica, you, we were talking about following Jesus at the, at the top of before everything got started this morning. Do you want to tell us how your faith plays into why you continue to stay involved and how you got involved in the first place? Definitely. So um, at the Birdhouse, we care for people who are receiving hospice services, and they can have any hospice provider in there that they want. We are not affiliated with anybody in particular. So the hospice care continue to go on um, and then the birdhouse provides room and board and caregivers being there for that and when I think back about my first days in hospice care and I was I date myself a little bit probably 22 at the time 1998 <laughs> and um, just being naive I had grown up in church somewhat and we would go to Sunday school, but it was never infused into our daily life, I would say. <clears throat> and so going in to this situation, I hadn't been around death hardly at all, mm -hmm. um, kind of wide-eyed and just not knowing what to expect. And in hospice care, we provide a holistic approach. So you've got the nurse there doing the pain management and I'm the 21-year-old social worker that's supposed to be helping these families <laughs> through the situation and the grief, but then we had chaplains, and um, the chaplains really were able to bring so much peace and comfort to people who had struggled through, you know, things that maybe they hadn't given forgiveness for, or just anxiety, or relationships that you have with families. Mm -hmm that people really want to resolve before end of life. And just to see the way the chaplains help those families bring peace. And then that kind of extended to the staff as well too, because each time it was a little bit of loss for us. And 
eventually you just sort of learn how to help each other in different ways because there were times when the chaplain was always available and so you're at the bedside and you do what that family needs to have done and so I began to grow in my faith as far as feeling comfortable praying with families and mm -hmm. having some of those conversations about forgiveness and what people need to really then truly have a peaceful end-of-life experience and there are good deaths and there are not such good deaths and you really could tell the difference between somebody who really had said yes to Jesus and had that love and that peace in them compared to somebody who hadn't and so I guess that was really eye-opening for me to see the importance of Jesus in my life um, and then just as life had moved on it was like every time I've had a hard situation kind of go back to that foundation and know that um, Jesus was there for me and to have that faith and hope and then just fast forwarding into the craziness of today and being involved in so many things I think that foundation just continues to stay there and when I think about what's the right thing to do or am I super stressed today and just giving up that control of things that we don't have control over and being able to say okay I, I know you're gonna help help us through this and and having that faith yeah thank you for sharing that's great um, could you tell us a little bit more about what that day-to-day -day looks like like how how is the birdhouse um, helping families and folks who are passing away um, what does that that look like for the families yeah so um, like I said we have five rooms a lot of the time we're full with those five rooms not always though and we try to keep people communicated with on that but um, they come in everybody has their own room um, which is basically just like a bedroom but has some extra chairs things for family to be able to gather around and then there's two kitchens living room common space a beautiful screen and porch um, woods that you can kind of walk through the trails so we have occasional patients that share those common space and maybe sit outside but for the most part it's really families using that and so we encourage families friends anybody who wants to be a part of that process to come visit spend time and then we have um, two caregivers there at all times Jana Michael is our executive director and Denise Weber is our house manager so they are those two people are our only staff um, and then we're filled with volunteer love as well so a volunteer might be in there cooking some soup and making the house smell good or a group of people out raking leaves this time of year or planting flowers in the spring um, sometimes it's helping with the laundry or just sitting with one of our um, guests we call them while their family is not available and and it just feels better to have them some somebody by their side so there's no rules about what time they have to eat or if they have to get up at a certain time it's really just living life on their terms doing the things that are most comfortable and peaceful for them and the family and friends being there to be just that a family or a friend mm -hmm. and um, sometimes we have people that come in and stay for two days and sometimes we have people that come for a year it just um, is kind of where they at and the only um, eligibility for them is just to be 
a part of a hospice program, and if not, we can get that worked out beforehand. Gotcha. Um, they do pay to stay right now, and so we have a goal of being able to serve all people, no matter what their financial ability is, but because we are nonprofit and do not have a constant paying <laughs> um, source, we have to be very careful about that because we do feel like we need to be able to provide services and if we take everybody um, at no charge right now financially, we can't do that. We'd love for that to be the situation in the future, but we have to be able to have some additional fundraising, which is why we brought Jana on as our executive director as well. Um, so there is a fee for them to stay each day, but it doesn't, it doesn't even cover half of what the actual cost is for mm -hmm. people to stay. Um, and that's about it. Yeah. So Kayla, you've been involved for a number of years now on the, on the fundraising side and helping make that possible so that families, A, don't have to pay as much, but just that those services are there. What kind of impact have you seen or how have you been able to tell that story as you've been doing the holiday lights on the lake? Yeah, so we opened in 2020, which uh, it feels like ages ago for some of us. It was, that was during the pandemic. And so that provided an opportunity for our community to come together. And for the first time in a few years, we saw people put their phones down, they were in the cars together, and they were enjoying something and making a memory that they would then cherish forever. And the downstream effects of creating that event for people to come to was that we were able to fundraise and provide legacy support for the birdhouse and over the past two years, we've been proud to um, raise over $170,000, which is, is a great start, but we still have so much more um, work and fundraising to provide and share um, so, we can, so that they can reach their goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say without the support of Holiday Lights, the Birdhouse would not be here today. Um, the board that really took that challenge on was basically at a crossroads of do we close the doors or do we figure something out? Mm -hmm. And while we've been figuring something out, <laughs> it still isn't enough. And you hear that from nonprofits everywhere, but um, we, we also have an older home in a residential neighborhood, and this week we found out we need a new septic. You know, that's $32,000 that isn't in the budget. So it's just stuff like that that continues to come up mm -hmm. that we all have in our daily lives too, right? It's like if we, if we don't have that huge nest egg kindness um, saved aside, when those big bumps in the road come up, you know, we come together and figure out how we're gonna handle it. And we are just so blessed to have so many people who do really step up in those times and be able to help out too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that seems like a good segue to uh, Rhonda, who some of you may have met out front. She is also on the First Impressions team. She serves there, but she also serves on our missions team who connected with you guys um, to ask, what do you need? What's, what, what's valuable in this time for us to raise some money for? And so we're raising $9,000, um, and that's going to go towards a couple of things. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Yes, I'd love to. So... Um, <clears throat> The, the history of the birdhouse, we talked a little bit about that and it being based on love and still is, but as times have changed and especially since COVID, things have continued to become a little bit more technological <laughs> through everybody's world. And 
the birdhouse um, has had some struggles with the care and having it documented correctly. Um, things as simple as the phone system, when somebody calls in, mm. they might get a busy signal at this point, and we don't have the option to be able to have our guests be able to speak to their families in a really easy way. So we're looking at technology support. Yep. So that includes phone system, um, a couple of iPad slash computers, because we're in the process of changing over to electronic documentation so that it's we can have a little bit better compliance as well with med management, mm -hmm. um, historical data back and forth between caregivers as they're changing shifts, that sort of thing. Um, cameras for really the safety of our guests so that we can be able to um, make sure that there's nothing crazy going on because unfortunately that happens. And um, then also at the end of that, if we have a little bit left, we're, we always have a parking issue because we're in the middle of a residential neighborhood that isn't really designed for five people to be having guests come. So we're trying to look at our grounds and extend our parking lot a little bit so that we have a little more space for people to comfortably park. Yeah. You've been there a number of times, obviously. You're there regularly. How do you see that changing people's lives or like the experience of being at the birdhouse or for the families? I don't know if you want to answer, Kayla. Or yeah, I mean, briefly, I think the phone system is something that's incredible because if someone can't come in person to visit, uh, they may be able to call in and be directed directly to that guest's room and speak with them, mm -hmm. while the day-to-day -day business of other phone calls coming in can still take place. Um, and so they can be connected to people who aren't able to be in person. Yeah, I think about in, in families' lives, you know, they're trying to go on with their day-to-day -day situation, and maybe it's just five minutes on the lunch hour that they have to call and check in and talk mm -hmm. to mom, and that five minutes, the phone is tied up with something else. Like, that doesn't work well. And to have that reassurance that you get to hear mom's voice and or just a report on that she's resting peacefully um, helps with that guilt not being able to be there too and just know that everything is okay um, on the tech side of it with computer um, note-taking and and the data really is just a part of the care that is going to bring more comfort and peace to those family members and from being able to report back to families on when meds were given and just having that compliance there to make sure that things truly are going okay and we have mm -hmm. good systems in place. Because while it is a comfortable place, we do need to make sure we're still taking care of those health needs too at the end of the day. Yeah. One thing that we had talked about beforehand that I hadn't really thought about because I haven't had to go through it is like that, um, that dichotomy between being a caregiver versus being just like yourself, right? Can you guys talk about that a little bit for folks who haven't had to go through that and deal with it? Yeah. So I always have related this whole end of life process in such similarity to being pregnant and having a new baby <laughs> and that that new baby doesn't have a schedule, doesn't um, care if you're exhausted, still needs care. And at end of life, it's much the same. We go through a lot of the same processes. So 
day and night doesn't mean anything. Um, people just have higher needs. And so as people have kind of migrated across the country and family members are not as close or you have you know, all members of the household working instead of just one, like that availability to actually be there and provide the care, especially when you have not had training in those services to be able to do that. Um, you know, we have people who are incontinent at end of life and being able to help in that situation is very different than having a baby and it takes skill and need and um, just, it can get very, um, tiresome and in addition to just having the care you're going through all of this emotional grief and loss as well and it can just really wear somebody down so if we can take away that extra stress of the care and just allow them to be there to go through the grief and um, memories and really valuing that time with their loved one it's truly a special gift we can give them yeah is there anything you want to add kayla I mean, I think Monica does a great job of explaining it better, better so than I do, um, because in my role, I, I'm, I'm just in a different part of, of this. I'm not involved in the day-to-day -day of the house, but I, I do very much believe in its mission, and I, um, I can say that being a caregiver is, is a huge task, and so the birdhouse allows someone to be a daughter, to be a friend, to be a mom, um, or a husband, or a spouse, or whoever you are, instead of relying on, instead of having to do those extra tasks of caregiving. Yeah. And I think too when you think about the option of doing that at the hospital where they're poking on you or um, have you on an IV or just the beeping and the sterileness which is all very important in parts of healthcare, right. but not at end of life. And so that comfort feeling of being by their side and feeling in that home-like situation compared to the hospital situation also just helps with Thank you. Is there anything else you guys want to add as we've, as we've talked about or anything else that people should know that you wouldn't know? I mean, there, obviously there's so much to know if you haven't been through it, but is there anything that surprised you as you've been part of the birdhouse? I think just the feeling of the house. Like there's days in my crazy life where I just want to go there and be because of the peace. Hmm. And it just slowing down of life and just caring about those little things. And so I would say, if you guys haven't been there to visit, don't wait for somebody in your life to, to be there before you come. Stop out. Um, if you're interested in volunteer, we can find you something you're good at. But just feel free to stop in and check it out. If you need a little break, come and sit on the porch. It's okay. And I think it also just in your day-to-day -day life will help you relieve some of that fear of death, too. I think a lot of people um, who aren't there think, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, I could never just go and be there. But once you're there and you feel the peacefulness of it, and it's just that energy, right? And it's just, uh, so I just would encourage you to stop out. We're just off Linder Lane. Um, in Iowa City and always welcome for people. Come sit and sit, take a little walk through the woods, whatever you need. Thank you. Anything you want to add? Well, and as Monica mentioned, I mean, it's kind of a topic that we don't 
typically gravitate towards. And so right. Holiday Lights at the Lake has become an awareness campaign for end of life and the options and, and, the, and what we have available in our, in our community. So um, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to come out and visit and, um, and also take time to make memories and know that life is short and do things that, get, that provide joy. Um, because of the, yeah, life is too short. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, thank you both so much for coming out to us. I have something for you. So in past years, uh, we've done similar things to this where we're gonna keep raising money and thanks to all of you who have pledged or given, um, I'm gonna have some information here in a minute, but what we wanted to do while we have you here in this moment is give you the check preemptively because we trust that in the way that Jesus has taught us that he's going to take care of us, that he watches out for all the little sparrows, we know that we're going to be fine. Like, we're, we're all going to be okay. And this is something that will help you guys all move forward with your mission and caring for all those people. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. Just hate goosebumps. <laughs> um, I just think about how God puts these checks always in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Like, there's been so many times where it's like, what are we gonna do? This is what we need. The computers, we had to buy them already. <laughs> you know, no. it's like. <laughs> You're in that situation. So, yeah. Um, so, this is amazing timing, and we can't even begin to tell you how much we appreciate your guys' support and dedication. So, thank you so much. Thanks, yeah. I've got just a couple of things to say to wrap up, but thank you for. I can set this here. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for making time. Thank you. Next steps for all of us, uh, go talk to Dave at the Lights if you want to volunteer as a group. There's also other group volunteer opportunities. I hear that meals are always an, an, an opportunity. So if you're part of a group or if you want to form a group and go serve some meals and just be around and uh, care for the least of these as we talked about at the beginning, that's an opportunity. The other opportunity that I will extend as we have been extending all of this month is to get involved with Be Rich to help us raise that $40,000. And we've got till the end till the 25th to give or to pledge if it's right for you. And this year we've got the, in previous years we've done like give right away, make a, make, a, make a donation before the end of the campaign, and then we'll give away all that money. And mo many of the last years we've gone over that, which has been a blessing to be able to, to go even further on some of these priorities. Um, but this year we've got the pledge, and you can go up to six months. And um, personally for us, we looked at that and we we're like, we can do a little bit more, if we pledge it out over the six months. So if that's right for you, if that fits with your financial situation, that's also an option. So you can scan that QR code or go to our website. We've got Be Rich up there. You can take another look at the things that we're raising money for. You can take a look deeper into the organization's websites and see what they're doing um, and decide what's right for you. But would love for, if you're gonna make a commitment either as giving or pledging, if you wanna do that within the next couple of weeks so that as we're getting closer, we can start talking about next week like we're this close and encourage folks to, to help us take the next step or get all the way and make some calls, that sort of thing. Um, so thank you for considering. Uh, we've got an opportunity to change some people's lives. Uh, in really meaningful ways. And we've got really great partners who are out there doing the work. There's all of us who can be there for the least of those in our lives, but also in this way to equip some partners and to build some relationships so that that goes out further and further. 
So I'm going to close this in prayer. The band's going to come up and close in a great song. Thanks for being here this morning. Jesus, you know what makes the good life because you lived it. You lived the hard parts of life, the hardest parts of life, along with us. You've been through the ups and the downs, the hard relationships, the broken relationships, the tough times, being hungry, being sick, being in prison, um, and you know what it means for people to be there. You knew what it meant for people to be there for you in like a really human, tangible sense. Um, so Lord, help us remember that this morning. Help us to remember that you've been here where we are and we all know that we need help and support and we want our neighbors to be there for us and lord when we see the opportunity to be there for our neighbors in the big ways and the small ways help us to do that in your name um, whether we're jesus followers or not to start under to start thinking about how you would respond in that situation and how you would be the neighbor for that person and Lord, give us the energy and the strength. We know that you're there for us in all the ways that you richly bless each of us, that you've made us rich already, um, and that we get to be rich in good deeds. You've given us opportunities. Each of us have unique, special talents and time um, and space to do those things. So Lord, transform our hearts this morning. Help us to see those opportunities both in this moment with Be Rich and throughout the rest of our lives and in the moments as we're driving back home or when we're in the restaurant later or when we're sitting with our family um, to be your hands and your feet and to do for the least of these. You're going to pray. Amen. <laughs>